Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Before we get started today, I just want to let you know what you're about to hear. Uh, last week, I chatted with you a little bit about the court case that Strong Towns is bringing against the uh, state of Minnesota, the Engineering Licensing Board. We were able to assemble, uh, basically, someone from our legal team, uh, someone from our board, another engineer that has had similar issues, who is a member of Strong Towns, and, and then myself, to chat about this. And so what you're going to hear is a briefing that we did for our members uh, to keep them up to speed and, and let them know what's going on with this case. If you want more information on this case or, or any of the things that we're doing around it, strongtowns.org forward slash support reform is the place to go. Thanks, everybody, for hanging with us. I do hope to be back next week with a, a brand new podcast, not about this topic. So <laughs> take care, everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hi, my name is Lauren Fisher. I am the communications associate for Strong Towns. I'm going to start by thanking everybody for coming today. Thank you to our members and our supporters who are here and also any members of the media who have joined us today. This is a briefing regarding the federal lawsuits filed by Strong Towns against the Minnesota Board of Engineering Licensing last week, Thursday, May 20th. We're going to take some questions at the end and media can also follow up with me at lauren at strongtowns.org after the briefing is concluded. And of course, that Q&A is gonna be open to our members, supporters, media, anybody. Present today is our Strong Towns board member, John Reiter, Charles Marone, who is the founder and president of Strong Towns and also a reformer within the engineering profession. Bill Mormon has joined us. He is the attorney who is helping us with the case. And Andrea Marr, who is mayor pro tem of Costa Mesa, California, a Strong Towns supporter and an engineer has joined us. Mr. Marone is going to get us rolling now. Thanks, Lauren. I want to start with Bill. Bill, obviously, uh, this is a very serious undertaking. Uh, we got in touch with you a couple of weeks ago when we had worked through all of the individual negotiations with the board and, and recognized that we had reached somewhat of an impasse. Can you walk us through kind of where we're at with this action? What what has precipitated this? What what exactly, from a legal standpoint, are we arguing here? And, uh, and, and what steps are we looking at uh, coming up here in the future? We started the lawsuit on, on behalf of you, Chuck. Chuck is a licensed professional engineer in Minnesota, uh, started his career around the year 2000. In 2010, Chuck decided to get involved with Strong Towns, founded it as an advocacy organization for uh, local governments around the country. And at that point, you know, basically stopped practicing as a professional engineer, but he maintained his license. Like anybody that's spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting a license, they usually don't like giving it up. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to do when I retire. I'll probably keep my law license for a while because I've just devoted too much time and money to having it. The state of Minnesota, like many uh, states, regulates professional engineers. And unfortunately, like many states, one of the regulations that Minnesota has is that individuals who are, let me back up, actually no one in Minnesota can call themselves a professional engineer 
unless the state of Minnesota has issued them a license and the license is currently in effect, regardless of what they're doing. So Chuck Marone's uh, professional engineering license lapsed in the year 2018. Chuck had moved uh, his family. The address with the licensing board was the, was the old address. And so the usual reminders you get, if, if any of you that are licensed uh, by any state agency, you know, if you have to relicense, uh, you'll get a notice or a reminder notice you have to relicense. I mean, I get that every year from the Minnesota State Bar Association and be blunt about it. The only reason I re-up is because I get the reminder. And this is not a focus of my life, making sure every year that I re-up and re-license with the Minnesota State Bar. It's important, I have to, to keep practicing, but it's one of those technicalities. Nonetheless, for uh, two years, Chuck did not have a professional engineering license in Minnesota. And the good news is Chuck wasn't going around the world uh, practicing in professional engineering. He wasn't drafting plans. Uh, he wasn't building bridges that were going to collapse. He wasn't doing any of that kind of stuff. He was doing work for strong towns as an advocate, primarily giving talks around the country and during those talks saying he was a professional engineer. One of the individuals working with strong towns in 2020 brought to Chuck's attention that his license had lapsed. And so Chuck immediately went to the Minnesota, actually I shouldn't even say went to the Minnesota State Board the Minnesota State Engineering Board has links on its website to reinstate your license if it's lapsed. And it's really not all that complicated to fill out. You can fill it out online, you pay money, and your license is renewed. Chuck not only renewed his license for 2020, but at the time he learned of this, his license renewal for 2020 through 2022, it's a biennial license in Minnesota, was up for renewal, so we renewed that as well. And everything went fine. After Chuck had renewed, an individual from South Dakota who is believed to be an, an opponent of the issues that Strong Towns advocates on filed a complaint with the Minnesota Licensing Board saying that Chuck was, during the period that his license had lapsed, was going around the country claiming to be a professional engineer using those words in his talks, and therefore he should be sanctioned by the Minnesota Engineering Board. Uh, the Minnesota Engineering Board took the complaint, asked for a response from Chuck. Chuck said, yeah, lapsed, but I wasn't doing anything to practice as a professional engineer, so this shouldn't be a problem. And the licensing board said it still was. Chuck's office then contacted our law office. Our uh, law firm has done a lot of work in the area of free speech. We've actually had two cases that have gone to the U.S. Supreme Court. One was on judicial speech. In other words, uh, speech by uh, candidates who are running for judgeships in those states uh, where they elect their judges. And another one involving a, a, a Minnesota law that prohibited you from appearing in a polling place with anything that would suggest political advocacy. We won both cases. So Chuck came to us. I, in my discussions with him, when I heard, heard this, I immediately recognized that this is a violation of Chuck's free speech rights, that it's 
going to be incredibly difficult for the state of Minnesota to sustain this regulation as applied to the facts here. And after discussions with Chuck, we filed a lawsuit uh, earlier this month against the Minnesota State Licensing Board, or more accurately, its, its board members, seeking injunctive relief to prohibit the uh, state from enforcing this provision in the uh, state uh, engineering licensing code against uh, Chuck from using the words professionally engineer and describing himself. With regard to the legal analysis, I just want to, those who are listening to understand how free speech cases work in the courts under the First Amendment, anytime the government regulates the content of speech. So in this case, saying the words professional engineer. Unless the speech fits in some narrowly defined category, uh, which isn't applicable here, the state has the rule or regulation is subject to what's called strict scrutiny, which means the state has the burden of proof in the case and their burden is incredibly high. They have to show that they have a compelling interest in prohibiting the speech that, it, that is at issue and that the regulation that prohibits the speech is narrowly tailored to uh, the compelling interest that the state says it has. So in this case, the state presumably is gonna argue that they have a compelling interest to make sure people aren't out there lying about whether or not they're a professional engineer and you know maybe faking people out and fraudulently drafting plans and the like. That argument is not gonna work in this case because we're making what's called an as-applied challenge. We're not trying to strike the entire statute down, but we're just applying to the facts of this case. So our argument's gonna be, that's fine. You can do what you want with people that are working on engineering plans, but if somebody's giving a public advocacy speech, you can't enforce it there. To be blunt, I don't know what the state of Minnesota is going to say its compelling interest is to keep uh, Chuck Marone from saying he's a professional engineer when he's giving public policy speeches. I can't fathom what that interest will be. There's two main problems under recently decided cases the state's going to have as well. Some states have tried to argue that there's a professional speech exception to the First Amendment. That got shot down by the Supreme Court in 2017. That issue was a California law that required uh, pregnancy clinics uh, were mandated to provide certain information. It was basically an abortion case. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, no, the state of California couldn't mandate the speech. In that instance, California in that case argued that there is a professional speech exception to the First Amendment, and the Supreme Court in its opinion said, no, there's not. This is subject to the same analysis as any other content-based restriction. The other problem they're going to have is they're, they're also going to try to defend this by saying that Chuck lied. So for two years, Chuck was out telling people he was a professional engineer when he didn't have a license. You know, the first response to that is, Chuck didn't say, you know, he was a licensed professional engineer, but just said he's a professional engineer. But even if Chuck was not, uh, not accurately saying he's a professional engineer, about six years ago, the Supreme Court said that false speech is also protected under the First Amendment. 
in, in another very interesting case involving something called the Stolen Valor Act, where Congress prohibited anyone from uh, falsely saying they had, had won or earned a Congressional Medal of Honor, a military de- decoration. There was actually a candidate for public office in California who was falsely saying that, and the U.S. Attorney's Office charged him with a crime under the Stolen Valor Act. Case got up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, nope, there's no false speech exception. So there's certain false speech that states can prohibit. Certainly states can have fraud laws. But uh, it's subject to the same analysis I laid out earlier. The states first got to show a compelling interest because, you know, as the Supreme Court stated in its opinion, if they allowed a false speech exception, basically then we have the government deciding what speech is false and what isn't. And I think in our current political environment, we can see what the, you know, the problems are, are with that. There's one other piece of that stolen valor case that's going to be relevant in our lawsuit with Chuck is that uh, the Supreme Court said if Congress was that concerned or the Defense Department was that concerned with the public knowing who the Congressional uh, Medal of Honor winners were, they could just have a list on their website. Just put a list up. And that way, if people hear that somebody says they're a Congressional Medal of Honor winner and they want to see if they won the Congressional Medal of Honor, they can go check out the list. We are going to argue in this case the same thing. If the state's concerned about people saying falsely they're a professional engineer in Minnesota or they're licensed, maintain a list. I know with lawyers, anybody can look up my name on the Minnesota State Bar Association site. They can look up my name and see if I've been disciplined, which I haven't been, but you can look that up. So the state has a very easy remedy to that problem without passing a law or regulation prohibiting somebody from saying something. So that's basically our free speech case. We also have a retaliation claim in the case. The state board, when it was investigating this matter, specifically referenced uh, groups that Chuck was talking to and seemed to be concerned about the types of groups he was speaking to. That, once again, is an impingement on Chuck's First Amendment rights to not only free speech, but free association. So we filed the case earlier this month. Um, Anybody who has any experience uh, knowing how the courts work is right now we're awaiting an answer. And we're looking at, you know, filing a motion fairly soon uh, to seek what's called a preliminary injunction from the court to prohibit the board from enforcing this uh, regulation against Chuck. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. And you're going to stick around for a little bit in case yeah. there's a question at the end, right? I really appreciate your time and, and, and everything you've done here. I want to see if John Reuter is uh, a member of our board. He is uh, one of three members of our executive board running Strong Towns. John, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the board's role in this. Obviously, my name is is on the complaint and, and I'm the one that uh, they're coming after, but this is in my role as the president and executive director of Strong Towns. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the board, the deliberations we've had, and, and, and why the organization that you represent here has an interest in this? I think what's helpful is to zoom out, right? So we heard the legal case. And uh, that I think is obviously quite strong um, and we're feeling very confident about that. But I just want to zoom out for all of us and look at the big picture of what's 
of what's happening here, right? And this uh, this retaliation claim and, and sort of the matter there and sort of like how we're looking at this thing, right? And, and part of the context I should provide is we're a small nonprofit with pretty limited capacity, right? And so it's a big decision for us to enter in a lawsuit in terms of cost, in terms of time, in terms of resources. And it's not a decision that we took lightly. And in fact, it's why, as this matter came up, we looked for with Chuck for a way to work with the board to resolve this and thought that, in fact, uh, a more than generous offer um, and a solution was there that you can see inside of, of the records now to actually find a way to really like magnanimously end this process. But it became increasingly clear that they didn't want to find a, a fair solution here, that really there were two main objectives here. And one was to attack our credibility. And, and by our credibility, I mean strong towns and the strong towns movement and people fighting for reform. It wasn't merely about Chuck or about an expired license, but it's very clear if you actually read the complaint, in fact, the second complaint of this nature filed against Chuck, that it specifically references his advocacy about strong towns. It refers to him as a fraud. It uh, talks about attempting to discredit him. And the purpose here, right, is to discredit us. The purpose is to discredit the message of reform and these basic reforms that need to happen within the engineering profession. And so one thing is that, right, is like attack our credibility, um, create something that says, oh, uh, this person's dishonest, uh, this movement's dishonest, these, these ideas aren't credible. And then the second thing is to actually have a chilling effect on other potential reformers, to let them know that if they speak out, that people are going to come after them, that the engineering profession is going to actually come after their livelihoods, right? For, for Chuck and for us, it's not essential and has very little impact on his or our financial well-being. But what it does is it tries to actually attack the advocacy. And then it also tries to make sure that other people aren't going to speak out. It says, look, there are going to be big consequences um, if you do things. And we're going to look for anything we can grab a hold of to try to discredit you um, if you start to challenge the profession and push for reforms that are going to make our cities more financially strong, that are going to make our cities safer, that are going to make our cities better places to live. And, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this within the engineering profession, not only with these kind of complaints, but also with other kind of pushbacks and, and frankly, disingenuous arguments that attempt to make it so that uh, that folks inside of the uh, that folks don't have to actually listen to needed reforms um, and actually have those come through. And so we felt it was important not only that we stand up for strong towns and our own credibility by filing this case and seeking a, a just restitute, you know, resolution to this thing, um, but also important that we do so on behalf of all reformers out there, particularly inside of this engineering profession for the entire strong towns movement. Just say, like, look, um, we're going to make it clear that you can't just keep coming after engineers in this way. We're going to make clear that this isn't acceptable and this isn't okay. And we're going to make clear that you're going to be a little embarrassed if that's what you decide to do. So we're going to push for a resolution to this that makes sure that it's clear that Chuck's rights are, re are respected to be able to continue to spread the strong town's message that retaliation like this isn't something that we're going to accept. And, uh, and we're going to push back here to make sure that people know and to make sure that reformers know if they speak out that strong towns, you know, I don't think we're going to be make a habit of following lawsuits, but we're certainly going to make sure that we stand with them as we have in other places um, to share their stories, to talk about whether the sharing is correct um, and to get that information out there. 
So that's really why we're in this suit, Chuck. Um, I'm happy to talk a little bit more if there's more you wanted me to do in there, but we're, we're right there with you in this. And I know our members are with you. We've been really pleased by how much our members have like rallied around us in this moment. Um, they all understand that this isn't just about you, but it's about all of us together. And I think that's why we've seen such a strong response from our membership during this time too, saying, look, we got to fight this thing and we got to make sure um, that the engineering profession is reformed. Thanks, John. And it does mean a lot that the board has been briefed on this since last July when we first got this. And you guys have done a tremendous job helping us kind of navigate these choppy waters. When you talk about other engineers, I want to bring Andrea into this conversation. And Andrea Marr is a council member in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, she is also an engineer. And, you know, when, when this happened, I, there were a number of stories that I have received over the years of engineers who have tried to do public service, have tried to speak up in different places and, and, and had themselves attacked because of their engineering credentials and their engineering license. You're one of these council members doing great work. Can you talk a little bit about your experience and, and give your kind of testimonial of what you had to go through? Thanks, Chuck. I'm, I'm happy to, and I'm happy to be here to, to support you and, and this effort. Um, as Chuck mentioned, my name is Andrea Amar. I'm the mayor pro tem in Costa Mesa, California. Professionally, I work for a publicly traded energy efficiency company, and I'm a registered PE in the state of Washington. Um, I've been following Strong Town since about 2017. In 2018, I was lucky enough to attend the Strong Towns gathering in Southern California and meet Chuck. Um, I believe their mission to make communities financially strong and more resilient is just critically important to what so many cities are dealing with right now. And I've tried to adopt many of the strong town strategies to make Costa Mesa a better place to live. In 2018, excuse me, while I was running for office, I received notice from the California Board of Professional Engineers that a complaint had been filed against me. Um, I am not a PE in the state of California, and I do not claim to be. At the time, I was working on smart cities projects and microgrid projects, mostly as a project manager. And as uh, William noted before, that work does not require me to act in the capacity of an engineer, then I certainly don't need a license in the state of California to do it. In fact, I was spending a lot of my time actually working on an international project for which I definitely did not need a California state PE. The complaint alleged professional misconduct specifically, and I was distraught. I brought it to my company. Um, I was terrified of any potential repercussions that might occur in, in my career for my company. Um, and I, I honestly didn't know what to do other than to sort of stand back and, and wait for the board to make some kind of a decision. I learned later that the complaint was filed against me for purely political reasons. While city council offices in California are nonpartisan, that does not stop the hate and the vitriol and the rhetoric and all the things that we've come to expect of our politics in this day and age. I spent the last 10 years advocating for bike paths and walkability in Costa Mesa and placemaking and art, but that didn't stop this one particular gentleman from really trying to undermine my livelihood because I, he didn't think I should be elected. And that's really all there was to it. So the complaint was resolved after the board realized that, in fact, I had never claimed to have a PE in the state of California. They asked me to update my LinkedIn profile and just be more clear that it said Washington State License Number. Uh, so that was it. That it was resolved. And that's, frankly, um, where it should have ended, unlike what is happening to Chuck Marone's case. As a supporter of the Strong Town Movement, seeing the complaint against Chuck 
frankly made me feel sick to my stomach. We should be able to disagree on ideas without fearing for underhanded attacks on our professional credibility, particularly when we're trying to advocate for change or do something different. State licensing boards, they should have the power to take disciplinary actions for totally legitimate causes, but not for ideological reasons and not because maybe there's one guy out there who disagrees with your ideas. The ideas behind the strong towns approach might feel threatening to some traditional engineers, to some random people out there. But if we allow state boards to take disciplinary action against everyone who poses an alternative viewpoint, we're going to stifle new ideas altogether. So I'm happy to lend my voice to this. I thought it was important to speak out. I sent check an email as soon as I saw this was happening. Um, and, and I just think that this is an opportunity for some real reform. And I'm so glad that the Strong Towns movement is, is really standing up for what's right in this case. Thank you. Andrea, thank you so much for your courage and for your note. And thank you for just everything that you've done in, in, in Costa Mesa. You guys were a lot of great energy at our gathering. And it's it's been a, a source of pride for me to see everything that you've accomplished since then too. So thank you. And thanks for being here. And you'll, you'll stick around in case there's some questions that we can send your way at the end here too. Thank you. I'm just going to close out the, the portion before we get to the questions, just by talking a little bit personally about this. I think Andrea said some things that were, you know, meaningful to me in particular. The first time I got a complaint filed against me, uh, it was a really difficult thing. You know, I, I'm in a high profile position and I take criticism all the time and you you become a little callous to it, right? Like you learn to not respond to the tweets calling you an idiot and, and you know, not respond to the, the personal accusations. I, I once had uh, someone look up my driving record and post that and share it around. And, you know, the, these things hurt, like they're very personal, but you, you learn to get beyond it. You learn to move beyond it. And it, it comes with the turf. It comes with the, the position and, and I've accepted it and, and it's okay. Um, I have a lot of support and, and we have thousands of members. And I tell you what, for every one nasty statement said to me online, I, I get 50 nice letters and, and, and nice comments and, and nice emails. And, and it, it keeps me going. But when I got that first complaint back in 2015, it, it really hurt on a personal level. I ha have tried for many years uh, to change things. In my consulting business in the early 2000s, I was uh, often disinvited to meetings because I would say things that were uncomfortable. And, and quite frankly, I had some business partners who would say, you know, it's better business for us if we just go along with things. I've had this struggle for a long time. To have someone who's a fellow engineer come after my license and, and, and say, hey, this guy's writing, this guy's speaking, the words he's actually saying is not only I disagree with them, but is actually breaking state law and, and doing it in such a way that it's harmful to the profession, the profession that I chose, that I, I, I want to be part of, it really kind of struck at something for me. For many, many years, and, and I've written about this in the book that I've got coming out in September that I, I know most people here on this call are aware of. Uh, I've written about some of these experiences, some of these experiences with my fellow professionals who in, in closed meetings and in, in, in private would say things and then always follow it with, but I can't say that in public. I, I can't go public with that. Don't quote me on that. And, and the impetus behind that is I, I don't want my license challenge. I don't want my livelihood undercut. I don't want to be attacked 
in the way that I see you at times being attacked, Chuck. I don't know if everybody on this call knows this or not, but we actually started a few years ago a column called Our Moses. It's 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 a uh, in some ways it was a uh, a, a funny thing we did. Uh, because, you know, a, a spinoff on Robert Moses and the, the author image is a famous picture of Robert Moses with his face blanked out so you can't see who it is. But we are also deadly serious about this. Uh, we set up the R. Moses pseudonym because we had a lot of licensed engineers who said they had things that they wanted to say. They had issues that they wanted to bring up that they did not feel that they could bring up without attack without having their livelihood attack, without having their license attack, without uh, facing professional uh, ramifications. And so we created this pseudonym so that they could write anonymously. Think about that for a second. The people uh, charged with designing our streets, our roads, with, with public safety, uh, with making massive trillion dollars of investments in infrastructure, feel afraid to speak up and speak their minds because uh, other people within the profession will attack them and their license for doing so. The second complaint, it, when I look back at it, I think that we've made the mistake early on uh, of assuming good intentions by everyone involved. If you go back and now, now, now that we filed the federal lawsuit, all of this stuff is public. Before it was all done in, in secret. And I think one of the things that was so exasperating to me and, and, and to our organization uh, was that we couldn't share this with you. We were told this is all private. You can't share it. And, 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 and we were watching these things go back and forth saying, we want to shine some light on this. Um, now that these things are all uh, public, you can actually go and look at the complaint and look at the exhibits. And you can see uh, that I was pretty naive up front. I, I assumed that the licensing board and the people involved in this as professionals, as thoughtful people in a, in a group of uh, my peers would look at this and, and recognize right away that an engineer who files a complaint like this, calling me a fraud, uh, saying, make an example out of him, forwarding them examples of my speech, that they would see this right away as what it was, was just a hatchet job, just an attack. And, and, and they would you know dismiss it because this is not something that the licensing board of a great profession should have to deal with, should deal with. They should recognize that the people in the profession, they want them to be able to speak and speak freely. Um, and so my initial responses were very naive. Uh, they assumed good intentions. And you can see that for many, many months, I assumed that if I just said reasonable things to the board, if I just explained honestly what had happened, if I acknowledged that, you know, even though I kept up my continuing ed credits and I did all the stuff I was supposed to do to keep my license, I forgot to file the paperwork, uh, you know, that I had certainly had no intention to mislead people, no intention of doing anything wrong. I, I wanted to keep my license. I thought I had a license. As soon as I figured out I didn't have a current license, that like within hours I applied and got it fixed. There was nothing nefarious on our part as an organization. And I assumed that people acting in good faith would recognize that. We're here today because those assumptions were wrong. And I'm very sad and I'm very ashamed. I've actually uh, talked to my wife and said, you know, I was thinking about what my grandfather would think about this uh, because my grandfather was one of these, you know, kind of very proper kind of people. And, and he'd say, Chuck, why why are you fighting with the state? Why are you in a squabble with the licensing board? And it just feels wrong. It feels like where I don't want to be. But I think ultimately, if he took a look at this case, he would say, 
this is the right thing. This is what you need to do, not only for you, not only for the organization, Strong Towns and the movement and all the things that you guys there are trying to accomplish, uh, but he would say, you know, on behalf of everyone who needs to speak up, th this profession needs a lot of reform. We, we have a, a ton of change we need to do in regards to safe streets, in regard to fiscal discipline, uh, project selection, uh, how we do projections, how we use warrants, all, all the self-reinforcing assumptions that we have built into the system, uh, cost-benefit analysis. I could go on and on and on about all the huge structural reforms that this profession needs to have. All of these things are difficult because all of them go to the heart of how all these engineers make their money, uh, accrue power, there essentially needs to be a new business model for this profession. Um, there's a lot of people that grasp that. And there's a lot of people that are trying to get to that place. I see Kevin Shepard on this call here today and one of the attendees, he's one of the prime movers in this, uh, abandoning a very comfortable job at a very large company to start on, on his own as a reformer. I stand here for Kevin Shepard and all the people like him who are doing these things. Uh, we have to have a new business model in the engineering profession. We have to have streets that are safe, cities that are prosperous. To get to that, we need our engineers, licensed, not licensed, people who are passionate about these issues. We need all of them to be able to speak freely and exercise that guarantee that we have in the First Amendment to be part of this conversation. So I, I wanna say thank you to all our members. I wanna say thank you to our board. Uh, I wanna say thank you to, uh, to Bill Mormon for working with us on this. And uh, Lauren, let's um, get everyone back here. And if we have questions, I'd be happy to, uh, to, to have you direct those and, and we'll uh, try to answer whatever anyone would wanna ask. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chuck, appreciate it. All right, we do have a couple of questions in the Q&A and some in the chat. The first question we have is from Revanth, uh, and I apologize if I'm not uh, pronouncing your name correctly, who asks if it would help to contact our state representatives if you're in Minnesota or senators to express your concerns. Then let me try to answer that. I think as, as part of our legal strategy, we are not trying to undermine the state of Minnesota. We don't wanna harass them and bully them. If you, as a third party, have a, have, a, have a concern that you want to raise with them, feel free to do it. It's not our legal strategy. It's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to encourage people to harass the board. Uh, we think we have a really strong case in court, and that's at, at this junction, that's, that's the avenue that we have to pursue. I do think long term, I have certainly been in touch with legislators in Minnesota, the Senate Majority Leader is lives up the street for me. Uh, we have, you know, very good contacts down in the metro area and, and up here in Greater Minnesota. And I think that out of this, uh, there will be some reform language, whether it comes parallel with this process or in series with this process. We have another question from Nathan Norris, who asks: Does the Strong Towns organization have a social media strategy to leverage this conflict to bring more attention to the work of Strong Towns? beyond merely pursuing the lawsuit. Chuck, would you like to address that? <laughs> Let me say this two ways. And John, if you wanna chime in on this a little bit too, we have a social media strategy, period. We, have a, we are a media organization and we have an overall communication strategy that communicates everything we're doing. We have overlaid that now with this lawsuit. And I, I think there's a little bit of push-pull, there's a little bit of tension here. Um, we don't wanna become 
Strong Town's lawsuit organization. We, we still have a message. We still have things we're working on. We still have many, many fronts that we're pushing right now. Uh, we would like to get this resolved with the board because quite frankly, it's a bit of a distraction from what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. That being said, we have found a lot of uh, sympathetic people outside of Minnesota and across the country Andrea is one example right now of, of people who are experiencing very similar things. And if we can use this conflict for good, if we can use this uh, difficult situation that we're in to raise the profile for reformers and for this type of reform in other states uh, uh, and other places, uh, that is a, a positive side benefit of the kind of large communication machine that we've created. John, is there anything I'm, I'm missing there you think I should add? No, I think that's right. I mean, I think we're going to, so I'll add things, even though I don't think you should add anything more. Um, but I think that, you know, uh, as is our habit as board members, but I think the bottom line here is we're going to keep speaking out. We're not going to let the, the attacks on the organization stop us from continuing doing our work. We're going to be open and honest about what's happening. We're going to, we're going to make sure that people have the information and have access as we're able to provide it. Um, and we're going to keep sharing what people can do in their own communities to take action. Uh, you know, I see a lot of questions here of like what people can do. Certainly, we appreciate the financial support that's come pouring in in this instance, and we appreciate people who've made donations. Uh, but the thing we appreciate more than anything else is people continue to take action where you live to make your place a strong town. Continuing to speak out for reform and continuing to like do that work, that's the key, right? The subtext of this law, of, of what's being done right here, is to try to stop people from doing this work. And the best thing you can do to support this organization is keep doing the work. Keep taking action, keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Um, and that's what, our, that's what our social media is gonna, gonna be focused on. And even as we talk about this lawsuit, we're gonna make sure that we keep giving examples of how the profession needs to be reformed, of things that people can do in their own places to make action and try to make sure that, you know, we, we deal with the situation. We make sure that it's addressed justly, uh, but we're continuing to make forward progress. Um, Cause this isn't really what, you know, this isn't really what we want to spend all of our time doing, but we'll spend as much time as we need to do to make sure that people, um, you know, to make sure we get the right solution. Was that, I, I think that's sort of like where we're at on this. In a... Thank you, John. And I think that you addressed Cindy Logg's question, which is what can we do to help? All right, Chuck, would you like to close us out here? Sure. I just want to maybe reinforce what John just said. I think it's really important that we keep this in mind. The donations have been really helpful. Litigation is not uh, cheap. We do not budget every year for federal lawsuits in our budget. So the, the, the financial assistance has been really helpful. Our movement has stepped up big time, and, and we want to thank you for that. But, you know, over the coming months, we just finished this big report on economic development. It is a huge thing. We're just launching. We're going to finish that up this week, and we're going to have a big presentation on it here in about 10 days. And we expect that to be really big over the summer. Uh, we also have the book coming out, Confessions of Recovering Engineers, September 8th. We just had a big meeting with the publisher on that. And we have a lot of advanced stuff we're doing there and a book tour that's coming out. Let's make sure that we stay on message. Let's make sure that we keep doing what we can to build a strong town, that you keep moving forward in your place and uh, we'll keep doing what we can. And we're going to be working on this on the side. We've got a great legal team. We've got a great communications team and we'll promise to keep you all updated as this moves along. We're not going to get derailed and this is not going to undermine us. Let's make this into the positive that I think we can by shining a light on reform and on reformers and on people who are doing really great work. Like Andrea in, 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 in Costa Mesa, that's the kind of people that you know you are, the kind of person that we want to continue to highlight because as much as we do as an organization, 
communicating ideas and talking about things, uh, you're the hero out there making things work. And we really are here honoring you and, and you know, wanting to promote you and, and others like you who are doing the real heroic stuff. So thank you very much. And thanks everybody for being here. Thanks, uh, Andrea. Thank you. <laughs> John, thanks for being here as a board and, and thank you to all of our board members. Thanks you, Lauren, for setting this up. And, and, and Bill, thank you for your advice and counsel. We'll continue to work on this over the summer, hopefully to a, a quick resolution. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made this city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.